the great detectives of old time radio. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives, and check us out on Instagram, instagram.com slash greatdetectives. Today's program is brought to you in part by the financial support of our listeners. You can support the show on a one-time basis using the Zelle app to box13 at greatdetectives.net. You can also become one of our ongoing Patreon supporters for as little as $2 per month. Just go to patreon.greatdetectives.net. Well, now it is time for this week's episode of The Man Called X. The original air date, May the 20th, 1952. And the title is Ancient Byzantine Bible. Listen to Herbert Marshall as the man called X. Wherever there is mystery, adventure, intrigue, in all the strange and dangerous places of the world, there you will find the man called X. Western civilization, mother city of world-famous men, modern and ancient symbol of the glory that is Greece. This is the city of Athens. Uh, you're sure everything's all set, Grisha? There's no chance for a slip-out, eh? Believe me, my darling cousin Pagan, you've got absolutely nothing to worry about. I swear it by the father of my father of my father. Huh? I knew it. I knew it. You're lying to me. Give me back my money and, and let me out of this thing. Pagan, you wound me deeply. I have allowed you to buy a half interest in a genuine Byzantine Bible. Oh, sure, for 50 bucks. When I could pick up all the Bibles I wanted for nothing. In any hotel room. Of course, my darling cousin. But would they be worth $50,000? Hmm? And all you've got to do is take it in that bookstore and give it to a man by the name of Santos. He'll give you the mazuma and we'll split it right down the middle, 60-40. Well, uh, well, okay, I'll take it, but, uh, but believe me, Grisha, if I find out that you double-crossed me in any way... Hey, God, how can you say such a thing? After all, we are both Del Schmitz. That's just what I mean. Oh, well. <clears throat> oh. Oh, uh, how do you do, I'm sure. I I'm looking for a Mr. Santos. Would you be, by any chance, be him at... Um, <clears throat> like, <laughs> like I was saying, I, I got here a, be a beautiful deluxe edition of a Bible. That's worth maybe $50,000. Hey, <clears throat> why, why, why do you sit there looking, looking at me like that, huh? Why do you... Oh, oh you... You're dead, you're, you're dead. You, let me out of here. Let me... Help! That's all I know, Mr. Rex. I walk in, this center's joker is dead. And I'm left holding the bag. What happened to Grisha? Oh, that double-crossing no good was gone. 
haven't seen hide of him since. Mm. So, what do you think, Mr. X? Is that Bible worth 50 grand, like Grisha said? No. I knew it. I knew it. No, I'd say it was worth about 10 million. Oh, sure. That's what I thought. It's only worth a lousy 10 million. 10 Chief, does the name Aridas Tomaros mean anything to you? Tomaros? Well, sure. He was a wealthy Greek philanthropist some uh, 10, 15 years ago. That's right. He was going to establish a foundation for underprivileged Greek children when the Axis moved in and took over Greece. Tomaros escaped to Turkey and died there, penniless. And the foundation was never established. Well, but what's it got to do with that Bible you have, Ken? The, inspi- the inscription on the flyleaf says it belongs to the Tomaros family. Sorry. Chief, the $10 million Tomorrow's put up for that youth foundation was never located. Just disappeared. And now there's been an offer of $50,000 on one murder over a Bible that should only be worth a few dollars. Ah. It'd be pretty nice, Chief, if that youth foundation could be started again. $10 million could do a lot of good for a lot of Greek children. Yeah. Now let me know how you come out, Ken. afternoon, sir. Is there something I could do for you? Yes, I'm uh, looking for a buyer for a book. I thought someone here might be interested. Oh, I'm sorry. We are going out of business and are not interested in buying any additional stock. Not even a Byzantine Bible? You have such a Bible? Well, if I did, would it be worth anything? <laughs> Far more money than a bookshop like this could ever possibly afford. Strange. I understood a man by the name of Centos was willing to pay $50,000 for such a Bible. If it was delivered to him here. Well? You are mistaken, sir. No one by the name of Centos is known here. Then what was the name of the man who was murdered here about an hour ago? No one has been killed on these premises. A call to the police should convince you of that. Oh, I've already called them. They've had no report of any murder here. But you are not convinced? No. Why not? You didn't pull that rug over far enough. What? That red stain on the floor is still showing... Anything more you'd like to tell me before I go? Nothing. Okay. You can find me at the Janitza Hotel if you change your mind. I can give you assurance right now that you have seen the last of me, Mr. Thurston. I might almost believe that, except for one thing. And what is that? How you knew my name when I hadn't mentioned it. Bye. Believe me, Mr. X, I've talked to practically every crook in... I I mean, every friend I got in Athens. Nobody knows nothing about any ten million bucks from any Tamaris Foundation for kids. Hmm. What about that dead man, uh, Centros? Nothing. Nothing. Nobody ever heard of such a character in the book business. I was afraid of that. I tell you, we're wasting time with fake Bibles and stuff, Mr. X. And we should ought to concentrate on a good legitimate business, like, like stolen diamonds. Diamonds? That's right. He's making a fortune in it. 
Who is? Mr. Santos. What? Oh, sure. He's the biggest fence in Athens. Handles more hot rocks than the firemen in the clinker factory. Bagon, if you don't start making sense... But I'm I... making sense, Mr. Ricks. I am, really. The only guy named Santos in this town is a crook. And besides, he's alive. Where does he hang out? Oh, he's got a little joint over Messenia Street. Uh, but he isn't... Uh... Thanks. See you later, Pagoff. So you wish to sell me a Byzantine Bible, Mr. Thurston? I understand you're in the market for one, Santos. It would be more exact to say that I was in the market for one. What made you change your mind? I'm very fond of money, Mr. Thurston, and $10 million American is a good deal of money. However, there is one thing I value more. My life. That $10 million you mentioned, that's the money that was going to support the Tomaris Foundation? It is. Then it's still in existence. And the Byzantine Bible I have holds the clue as to where it is. Your reasoning is most exact, sir. Yes. You know, Santos, you're being very cooperative. Yes, I quite agree. Why? Why risk my life being hoggish, Mr. Thurston? Even half of $10 million is a considerable sum of money. That's the cut you want for disclosing the secret of this Bible I have? It is, sir. Uh, giving you five million will rob a lot of Greek children out of a new way of life, Santos. Perhaps. But it will also bring a new way of life to me, Mr. Thurston. Yes. Well? No deal. As you wish. I'm certain I can find someone else who will enter into such an agreement with me. Uh, that'll be pretty tough. One of you would have to get the Bible away from me first. Yes, that is quite correct, Mr. Thurston. One of us would. So you finally found your cousin Grisha? That's right, Mr. Rex. He's waiting for us up here in the hotel room. Did he tell you where he got the Bible? He wouldn't tell me nothing. But now we'll learn that what it is all about when we can... That is far enough, gentlemen. She's got a gun. She's got a gun. Well... You are not surprised to find me here, Mr. Thurston? Why should I be? I told you we'd meet again. Grisha, what happened to Grisha? That rather obnoxious little man I found here when I came in, he's gone. I was afraid he would interfere with my search. For my Byzantine Bible? No, Mr. Thurston. For my father, Aridus Tomaros, and the $10 million that he stole from me. We'll return to the man called X in just a moment. This is Herbert Marshall. All of us on the man called X wish to send our sincerest congratulations to radio station WFBC, Greenville, South Carolina. This great southern station today celebrates its 19th anniversary on the air. Best wishes to station WFBC and Mr. B.T. Whitmire, general manager of the station. And now, Act Two of The Man Called X, starring Herbert Marshall, with Leon Belasco as Pagan Zellschmidt. fake copy of an ancient Byzantine Bible apparently holds the clue to $10 million, donated by the wealthy philanthropist Aridas Tamaras to establish a youth foundation for Greek orphans. And Ken Thurston is in Athens attempting to locate the missing funds in order to reestablish the foundation. And now, in his hotel room, he and Pagan are faced by a strange young girl who holds them at gunpoint. (laughs) 
No, Mr. Thurston. I am not after your Bible. I am looking for my father, Aridas Tomaros, and the ten million dollars that he stole from me. So you're Aridas' daughter? Yes, Zurta Tomaros. As though you did not know. As a matter of fact, I didn't. And I didn't know your father was still alive. All that he's stolen ten million dollars from... Let's have that gun. Oh, you... Thanks. Stop that. What? Thank you, Mr. Thurston. Now, suppose you tell us what this is all about, Mr. Morris. And what do you mean by looking for your father when he died penniless in Turkey a number of years ago? That is not true. He left my mother and me here to starve under the occupation while he lived on the fat of the land in Turkey with the ten million dollars he had stolen from us, from the foundation. Who told you all this? Santos? Yes. He had been associated with my father before the war. And the man who called this morning verified it. What man? Well, he didn't give his name. He only said that my father was here in town and that he had our family Bible with him and that I could have it to remember him by if I was willing to pay 50,000 American dollars for it. Yeah. Where did I come in? How did you know about me? Well, when I refused his offer, that man told me I could reach him at this hotel in your room in the event I changed my mind. Hmm. Ah, what a pack of lies, eh, Mr. Thurston? Let's take her down to the poker and lock her up for assault with a battery. No, 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 Pig. I'll have a hunch that a story is true. But how can it be? You know this Aridas Tamaris is dead. Yeah, but somebody could be playing a pretty cruel trick on her in order to cash in on that Bible. Let's take a good look at it and find out for ourselves. <laughs> Good afternoon, Mr. Thurston. Is there something we can do for you? Yeah, I'd like to have that Bible I left here in the hotel safe. Oh, of course, the Bible. I'll get it for you. Did you say the Bible, Mr. Thurston? Yeah, that's right. But I've already returned it to you. Returned it? But of course, not half an hour ago. You didn't give it to me. Not personally, no, but your friend brought your note. Um, here it is with your signature on it. You, you can see for yourself that it is your signature. <laughs> that's a perfect forgery, all right. Forgery? You, you you can't be serious. Did this friend of mine give you his name? Oh, yes, yes, I believe he did. I I, I can't remember exactly, but... Uh, yes, 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 now I remember. Well, what, what was it? Uh, Tomorrow's. Your friend's name was Aridis Tomorrow's. where you found him? That's right. Hmm? Boy, what a bunch of throat cutters hanging around, eh, Mr. X? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Ah, my dear hmm? friend, Mr. Thurston. Hmm? Isn't it rather unusual to find a gentleman like you in such a squalid atmosphere? You seem to be at home in it, Santos. <laughs> of course. In my business, one must frequent the haunts of one's customers. Smugglers, jewel thieves, others of that ilk. Yes. What about people who have stolen Bibles to sell? Yes, you are quite right. Where is he, Santos? Who, Mr. Thurston? Grisha Zellschmidt. Surely you do not suspect Grisha of having stolen your Bible. Only two people could forge my signature that well. And Pagan was with me. In the face of such insuperable logic, any denial would be useless. When last I saw him, he was in that back room. However, Mr. Zellschmidt no longer possesses the Bible. Oh? 
Who did he sell it to? Uh, poor Grisha could not inform me. He appeared to be rather dead. Come on, Grisha, you're all right. Now start talking about that Bible, and I want the whole story. Oh, sir, help me. I'll... Okay, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you everything I know, everything. Where did you get it in the first place? Well, it, it was kind of given to me by some Turkish sailor. What? I swear it, by the father ah! of my... But it was. He owed me a couple bucks or two from a crap... <laughs> from a business deal, you understand, and gave me the Bible in part payment. He'd picked it up in Turkey someplace and said it was worth a lot of money to somebody in Athens. Here. Look. Here's the paper that came with it. The paper? Let me see that. What is it, Mr. X? Listen. In the event of my death, anyone returning this Bible to the below-mentioned people in Athens will be most suitably rewarded. And it's signed, Aridas Tumaros. Mr. Thurston. Yes. And the people he named are Zato Tomaros, Andrea Santos, and the Georgi Pandeli. Pandeli? Who is he? Oh, he's captain of some steamship or something, a very low-class type of cheapskater. So you came to Athens and got in touch with these people? That's right. Pandeli and the Zerta cookie wouldn't have nothing to do with me. But Santos was different. First crock out of the bag, he offered me $50,000 for that faked old Bible. Well, what happened then? Well, after Pandeli knocked off Santos' pal in the bookstore, he called me and said he was ready to do business. But you already had the Bible in the safe, so I, I took it and brought it here to Pandeli. Only that dirty crook knocked me subconscious and didn't pay me nothing, and that's all I know. Boy, not even in my best lying days did I ever come up with such a malapazooza like that. Well, it could make sense, Pega. It could? Sure. And we're going to pay a visit to Pandeli's ship to prove it. on board of a tramped-up steamer in the middle of the night like this? We didn't sneak aboard. We're paying an open visit to Captain Pandeli. Yeah, but... Come on. How do you know he wants to see us? Maybe he don't like people asking questions about Bibles and stuff. Maybe... Oh. Oh, Mr. X. Yes. Pandeli. Can you hear me? Pandeli. Uh, Genesis... Six, ten. What? Genesis six through ten. The money. Genesis six. Mister Thurston. Yes. So we got here too late. He's dead. Bible's gone. Now we'll never get the dough for Mr. Tamara's Youth Foundation. Why give up so easily, Pagan? We've only worked on this about 40 hours. It took Noah 40 days and 40 nights. Oh, that's right, that's right. It, it only took Noah 40 days and... Mm -hmm. 
make his fortune as a manufacturer of children's toys. And he specialized in putting out a Noah's Ark, complete with animals. Thanks, Chief. That's all I wanted to know. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. What's all that got to do with finding the $10 million, getting his youth foundation operating again? The answer is in your Bible, Chief. Genesis, chapters 6 through 10. walking around this old broken-down factory for anyways. I swear, Ivetus Sumaras used to manufacture his toys. Well, so, so what? The, the place was all bummed out in the war. There's nothing left but old smokestacks sticking up through a lot of rubble. Yeah. Towering over the rubble like a mountain, like the peak of Mount Ararat rising above the waters after the flood. Hmm? Let's see what's inside the boiler room at the end of that stack. Rex, it's so dark in here. And dark. Uh, what are we looking for, anyway? <laughs> Mr. X, what? What was that? Lewis Brick. Fell from somewhere inside that chimney. But how could it do that? Somebody's climbing up there. Climbing? Yeah. Have you found it yet, Santos? That's right. So you finally figured out where Tomorrow's hid the funds of the foundation. It was not too difficult once I found Candelay. Yes. The clues were in Genesis, chapters 6 through 10. The story of Noah and the Ark and Mount Ararat. That is right. But how did you figure it out? I noticed some words in Ionic instead of the old Attic dialect. And if Tomorrow's had the money with him in Turkey, he wouldn't have needed the Bible and its code. That meant he hadn't taken it out of this country. Then I suppose you know how I came into the picture. And Pandelli. I'd guess tomorrow's put those funds into something with permanent value, like uh, diamonds. You could have been his broker. I was. As for Pandelli, well, tomorrow's got out of Greece some way. Pandelli's ship could have been the answer. It was. And now? It looks like his youth foundation is going to become a reality, Santos. You will have to get the diamonds first. I'm coming down first. Don't stand in my way. Take it easy, Santos. That stack is old. Ready to collapse. The concussion from those shots could start it. This way, Pagon, quick. Stay out of my way, you hear? Stay out of my way, Pagon. The stack it is starting to crumble. It is... out of all those bricks and stuff. Yeah. A man's hand. 
holding on to a steel string box. Looks like there'll still be a new world for thousands of Greek children rising out of the ruins of the old. And now, here's our star, Mr. Herbert Marshall. Thanks for being with us. And my thanks to Lucille Meredith, Will Wright, Polly Bear, Harry Bartell, and Stan Waxman. Next week, a story I promise will startle you with the, well, with the characters involved. One in particular. And that's in addition, of course, to Leon Belasco, who'll be along as Pagan Zellschmidt. So join us, won't you, when next I return as the man called X. Good night. <laughs> The Man Called X, starring Herbert Marshall, is a J. Richard Kennedy production with music by Milton Charles. This story is written by Sidney Marshall. The program is directed by Jack Johnstone. All characters and incidents on this program are fictitious, and any resemblance to actual characters or incidents is purely coincidental. And now, until next week, same time and station, this is Hal Gibney saying good night for The Man Called X. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. Welcome back. Well, an interesting episode with a few things to note. When Pagon's cousin was talking to him and he went into the whole father of my father's uh, sort of routine, Pagon immediately knew he was lying, which did remind me of something I learned about uh, a route for that particular practice in the program. I'd been listening to a... Uh, seminary president, and uh, he stated that there was a practice in uh, many nations, back to biblical times, where you would issue uh, an oath, but only those who were uh, on the inside knew whether the oath was true or not. This was something that was referenced in the Sermon on the Mount. And in that case, the example that Christ used was of someone saying that practice was that if you swore by the temple, it didn't count. You didn't have to keep that promise. But if you swore by the gold in the temple, you had to fulfill the promise. And if you were from outside that society and were a stranger, you had no clue that this person taking an oath by the temple didn't actually mean it. That was the practice that was being condemned in the uh, Sermon on the Mount. And when I heard that, I was thinking, okay, so that's what uh, Pagan's doing. Of course, why Pagan's cousin would try to fool him with such an oath, and even more why Pagan keeps trying to fool Ken with uh, that, it doesn't make a whole lot of logical sense, but I guess it became kind of one of those verbal catchphrases that was just so popular the writers just kept using it. I don't know if that was ever explained, uh, particularly since we don't have access to most of the early episodes of The Man Called Act. The daughter of the dead benefactor, I could definitely believe she had nothing to do with this just because she was you know, so bad at everything involved. There was the spot of blood on the floor and then her 
knowing Ken's name when she shouldn't have. I think there were a couple of goofs at the end with the final clue and a line of dialogue by Ken. The clue of Genesis chapter 6 through 10, honestly, that would have set me off onto so many tangents. You know, I would not have gotten there on time. Uh, my problem is I overthink things. And there's actually a lot in Genesis 6 through 10. And I think I would end up missing the obvious, particularly when you threw in chapter 10. Because chapter 10 was not actually uh, part of the uh, Noah and the Ark story. It was actually a genealogy. And that really would have set me on a tangent. I'd be like, you know, if this was just about the Ark, uh, he would have said six through nine. It has to mean something that he included chapter 10. It does not. But I would have thought there was. So good thing Ken was looking into it, not me. And Ken's line about that, you know, encouraging them to stick with it because they'd been at it for 40 hours and Noah stuck with it for 40 days and 40 nights was also a bit off. Because 40 days and 40 nights was actually the length of the flood. A more apt comparison would have been it took him 100 years to build the ark. The thing is, you know, if you are in the middle of the flood, uh, you know, that's going on 40 days and 40 nights, you can't just say, you know what, I'm done being in a flood. It's not an option whether to stick with it or not. But at any rate, we turn now to listener comments and feedback and I have an email from Blaine. Blaine writes in, I'm listening to episode 3767 and heard them identify radioactive material because it gives off faint life, visible through Thurston's fingers. This drives me up the wall, because radioactive materials do not emit visible life. If it's radioactive, it emits one of three things. Helium nuclei. Uh, these are also known as alpha particles, since the three types of radioactivity were named for the first three letters of the Greek alphabet before we knew what they actually were. These are virtually harmless to people. They don't even have enough power to break the skin. Uh, these are not visible light. Electrons and positrons, also known as beta particles. Uh, the electrons are also virtually harmless. Positrons are antimatter electrons, so they pose a slightly greater risk because they can annihilate another electron and produce gamma rays. Gamma rays, the third and final type of radiation, and the one to be concerned about. These are high-energy photons. Yes, they are the same type of particles as visible light, but they have about 30,000 times more energy. These are the ones that are a threat, because they have enough energy to ionize long protein chains, which means they can damage DNA. None of these are visible to the naked eye. I can forgive the fact that Geiger counters don't sound right, but that's a matter of using harmless special effects in place of the real thing. When using the real thing, I might mean bringing radioactive materials into the studio. So they substituted with something they were confident was harmless. Sure, they could have brought a source of alpha particles and a Geiger counter, but that would have been more expensive than the castanets I think they used, which were probably already round. And very few of us in the listening audience can tell 
the difference. Well, thanks so much for the comment, Blaine. And that is a fair point. Now, portraying radiation as glowing can make it more dramatic. And I guess it's okay if everybody understood that, as you said, it doesn't glow. Sadly, a lot of us just don't. Which can lead to safety issues if you're like, yeah, I don't see anything glowing, uh, no radiation. The point regarding sound effects is certainly a fair one. And it's important to keep in mind that much of the sound effects, I would say the vast majority of it, are very much fully effects. That's what they had during the golden age of radio. And, and like a pre-recorded Geiger counter, I don't think it would have sounded as good as the castanets. And I think a lot of recorded sounds, even to this day, are not uh, terribly realistic or natural. Of course, we do have some better sound effects uh, libraries. One thing I'll always say for the audio dramas from Big Finish, British company produces Doctor Who audio dramas, is that they have wonderful soundscapes. They're very cinematic. And they will use sound effects libraries, but oftentimes because they're doing science fiction, they, uh, for many of their productions, they will take, you know, a couple of ordinary sounds and adjust it to make it sound like some weird science fiction sound, like a uh, teleporter or what have you, or, you know, ray gun. But still, you know, I always listen to all the behind-the-scenes extras about how they make them. And occasionally you'll have the sound artist talk about how he created a sound by mixing two things that were from around the house. So that sort of uh, approach is definitely a bit of an art form, but doesn't always sound uh, true to life. Thanks so much for the comment, Blaine. So, from the Bible to radiation and sound effects. I think we've covered some a lot of ground today. Alright, well now, let's go ahead and thank our Patreon supporter of the day. Thank you to Jesse, Patreon supporter since March 2016, currently supporting the show at the rookie level of $2 or more per month. Again, thanks so much for the support, Jesse. And that will actually do it for today. I do want to encourage you, if you are enjoying this on YouTube, but be sure to like the video, subscribe to the channel, and mark the notification bell. We'll be back next Wednesday with the final episode of The Man Called X. Uh, but join us back here tomorrow for Philo Vance, where... Hello, Markham. How are you, Vance? Fine. Fine, thank you. And you? I'm not sure. Uh... Sit down, won't you, Vance? Yes, thanks. I have something on my mind, something important. Of course. Does it have anything to do with the trial you're conducting? Everything. Vance, I left that courtroom today knowing definitely I can get a conviction in the state's case against Joe Cates. And that bothers you? Yes. Every bit of evidence points to Cates being the killer. Yet when we adjourn today, for the first time in my life, I was sorry that I'm the district attorney. Well, this sounds serious, Markham. Tell me about it. I'll tell you as much as I know. Joe Cates was picked up near the spot where Edward Masters was murdered, and we rushed the case to trial, as you know. Tell me the things I don't know, Markham. Perhaps that would be easier. All right. A witness, Bill Miller, saw this Joe Cates follow the victim around the corner... Then Miller and a policeman heard a shot and found Cates bending over Master's body. The newspapers say Cates threw away his gun and started to run, but the policeman overtook and overpowered him. 
That's the way it happened, isn't it, Markham? Yes, and despite a letter in which Masters wrote he feared Cates, I'll tell you something, Vance. Cates denies shooting Masters, and I don't entirely disbelieve him. No? No, despite this letter the victim wrote naming Cates as the man who had threatened him. Seems there's rather a complete case against Mr. Cates, but you say you don't entirely disbelieve Cates' claim that he didn't kill Masters. Why? I don't know why. Call it a sixth sense, call it anything you like, but I don't think he did it. I hope you'll be with us then. In the meantime, do send your comments to box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and check us out on Instagram, instagram.com slash greatdetectives. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.